get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods. Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host Dustin Fuse and I are recording this show on Tuesday, June 18th. It's been a couple of very news-filled weeks since we last recorded a podcast, and honestly, folks, that's entirely my fault, not Dustin's. Uh, long story short, Nancy underwent back surgery middle of last week, which seems to have gone fairly well. She's up and moved around the house, but the downside was between all the preoperative doctor's appointments and trips to the hospital, there just wasn't sufficient time to write, research, and then record a new episode of uh, Universal's Joint prior to procedure. But, but that was it last week, and this is this week, and... Looks like Dustin and I can squeeze in a quick show. Dustin, you actually get to leave the wilds of Canada and head down to Orlando, right? You're down there for how long? I'm going down for, for seven days. Mm-hmm. It'll be a, a, a very fun and exciting solo trip. Mm-hmm. Just like any sort of trip down to Florida, Jill stays up here because it's too hot in the summertime. So I get to go out and, you know, burgers and no, I'm, I'm probably going to do some uh, really good food uh, reviews and such. It's all about getting the best content for Steps to Magic and also for our shows. Do you have an itinerary? What are you doing? What are we hitting Disney first, Universal first? What are you up to? So the goal is to hit two parks a day. I'm one of those guys uh, where you, okay. you have to get the uh, the park hopper. Mm-hmm. I also do a, a lot of Ubering mm-hmm. back and forth, you know, trusting Disney transportation with my vacation. Eh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's all about getting as much done as possible. So my goal is usually about 35,000 steps a day mm-hmm. with about 10,000 photos per day. So at the end of it, we'll, I'm hoping to get about 75,000 images from the trip. So yeah, uh, Animal Kingdom. I actually, right before we started to record, I picked up a last-minute Seven Dwarfs Mine Train Fast Pass. So it's going to be a great time. I am very excited. Are we planning on making time for the other new coaster in town, Hagrid's? Or? I am hoping to get over there. It's really dependent on... The weather. Mm -hmm. I think that there's just so much uh, hit or miss with June and July weather that hopefully I'll be able to get over there. It is just a, I think the last time I calculated, it's about a $20 Uber ride Mm -hmm. one way. So getting over there isn't the issue. It's just making sure that I'm not standing in the crazy lines. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about the lines in the second half of today's show, but... Before we get started here, this edition of the Universal Joint Podcast is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, the trusted travel partner of the Universal Joint. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Let's face it, the month of June didn't exactly start out all that right for the Universal Orlando Resort. Dustin, we had that whole issue of electrical problems at Volcano Bay. Yeah, and when the the reports first started coming out, it was it was pretty shocking mm-hmm. uh, to be. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, I'm there sorry, I, ha- I had to put the pun oh, in there. Geez. I can say that because from what we, a lot of the people that uh, had these issues, everything was, I don't know. It looks like everything was settled okay. They they did a really good job with keeping people in the loop, but there was more to it, right? The problem supposedly started. On Sunday, June 2nd, it was less than an hour. In fact, the Sentinel did some excellent reporting on this, and kudos to Gabrielle Rousson for her work on this story. But 
less than an hour after Volcano Bay uh, first opened for the day on, on June 2nd, guests began to experience what they could only call zaps as they were floating around the Copico Winding River, which is the theme park equivalent of a lazy river, and a windy lee of Winterhaven reported that she felt uh, electrical current moving down her leg as she stood in the, the lazy river. And by 9.34 that morning, she's complaining to Universal team members about a metallic taste in her mouth and a humming sound in her head. And less than an hour and a half later, several other guests, as they're walking around Volcano Bay, said that they too felt like they'd been zapped as they, they strolled across the pavement. And in an official statement that the Universal Orlando Resort released several days later, they acknowledged that in addition to these guests who felt something while they were visiting Volcano Bay, some of the lifeguards working at that water park that same day also told us that they felt something. Universal Orlando Resort's top priority is obviously the, the safety and well-being of its its guests and its team members. And again, reading from the official statement here, our medical staff asked each guest who'd been affected if they wanted to go to the hospital and all said no. And a small number of our lifeguards asked to go to the hospital. And fortunately, they were quickly released and were all fine. And meanwhile, while the medical staff are dealing with these guests and team members who've been affected by the electrical issue, the resort's safety and facilities people sprung into action as they're trying to chase down the, the source of this electrical issue. And again, I'm quoting here from the official statement. It took us some time to understand where exactly these shocks were occurring as we identified specific areas. We quickly closed rides and other parts of those areas. And we eventually closed the entire park out of an abundance of caution, which is true. Again, according to Gabriel's story, all of the rides in Volcano Bay were closed at about six o'clock that night. And with the entire park then closing, and all the guests being swept. After it's closed for the day, the Universal Orlando Resort calls in crews from the Orlando Utilities Commission, outside electrical contractors and our own experts, and we now know that the problem was specifically electrical. We spent the hours in the day since Sunday testing and retesting our electrical systems across the park, and we made repairs and modifications to our electrical system. We believe that this has resolved the issue. I have to tell you, Dustin, that it, in covering theme parks for the past 35 years, it's, it's very rare for an organization to be as upfront and as plain spoken as Universal Orlando has been in the face of the Volcano Bay electrical issue. Mm -hmm. Listen to how Universal Parks and Resorts chose to close out its official statement on this incident, which did generate a good amount of bad publicity for their water theme park. We know it is a disturbing to feel any level of shock at a water park. We definitely understand and want you to know that the safety and trust of our guests and team members is vital to us. Everything we do is motivated by their safety, and that was the case on Sunday. We believe this problem is resolved and that our park is safe. Not the greatest publicity, and this is a park that has had its challenges since the very mm -hmm. first day it opened its doors. and. At least they were straightforward and upfront about it. When I look at it, I see the, the fact that at 9.34 in the morning, this was going on. And by 6 o'clock p.m., they had closed the park. Mm -hmm. The number of, of wheels that have to get into motion before someone saying, hey, I'm not feeling well, mm -hmm. something's going on, into basically closing a business... That takes some time. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, 
though if you look on twitter instagram or that sort of thing there are a number of people who wish they'd moved a little faster yeah but anyway moving from electrical shock to sticker shock just today we saw that theme park up the street raises prices which got a, a whole big magilla going online about Universal versus Disney. Can you talk a little bit about what Disney did, Dustin? They raised prices overnight. Uh, a lot of folks were were thinking about, you know, if they were thinking about getting an annual pass for Star Wars and such, they were having a, a specific budget in their mind. And then they woke up this morning to a uh, an announcement that bookings for the 2020 Walt Disney World vacation packages went on sale. But in that came a... Uh, an upgrade for, or a, not a, even an upgrade, sorry, a, a, a price jump. It was a price price jump. jump. Uh, maybe a little bit of a price gouge, but that's just okay. me. We saw all of their uh, different prices go up significantly. We saw the Platinum Pass, which is the one that gets you into all four parks without any sort of issues, go from $749 for Florida resident up to $899. And then the one for me personally, out of state, went from eight ninety four U.S. into eleven nineteen. So that's an increase of two hundred and forty dollars U.S. So when we're looking at Disney World, there are many different sides to take on something like this. I tend to look at it as a trip planning expert. That at the end of the day, your budget is your budget. And when I had my site set on an annual pass for when I'm going down in two days, after seeing this price jump of the price pre-tax and, you know, with all the, the added stuff that comes into a trip, you just have to make your, your bet and lie in it. So if that means buying a lesser ticket package instead of an annual pass, you buy a five-day ticket or a seven-day park hopper mm-hmm. versus doing an annual pass, that's one way of doing it. And this wasn't just the regular annual pass. It turned into the Platinum Pass. There are increases on the Epcot after four, the water parks. There was a lot of stuff that went into it. Now, Jim and I talked about how with Universal, this brings another conversation, which is do people now look at Universal annual passes and say, hey, that's a bargain. We should pick that up and spend more time at Universal to experience things like Hagrid's, knowing that for the next little bit of time, next two months or so, there isn't going to be Star Wars. Maybe that does come into the conversation. Well, actually, I think you were the one who who made the really intriguing observation, because I was pointing out that as an Orlando local, it looks so much more affordable to have a universal pass. So when you have friends and family come to town, it's like, this is the park I'll take them to. But you were the one who noted that of all the price increases for the Disney passes, the one that increased its price by the least was the Florida resident pass. Yeah, the Florida local. And the fact that they have that extra perk of being able to do the monthly pass mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where out of town... Oh, yeah. It's very similar to, and I, I was trying to figure out the right mentality to go into this as a, an explanation, but when you're going and planning your education and you're looking at state schools versus out-of-state schools, and for folks like me coming from Canada down to the U.S. and maybe seeing that international side, 
there are different pricing levels based on where you're from. And I think this was one of those elements that, honestly, the $150 change from the platinum for Florida residents versus the $894 up to $1119, that's a significant price point. When you look at the fact that the universal annual passes, the two-park universal, the top of the line is $509.99. So that's a significant change between that and Disney World. No, absolutely. Supposedly one of the reasons Disney's been so aggressive about increasing the price of its annual passes is the very fact that they're about to open. You know, or they've got mm-hmm. the, the Galaxy's Edge that's opened in California that's been in sort of its tryout period. We're, we're coming up on, what is it, June 24th, where the reservation system goes away. And, you know, that's yeah. going to be very interesting to see what happens there. And Conversely, just in the last day or so, kind of flipping the script from what they did out in Anaheim, word got out that they were, in fact, out ahead of the opening of the Florida version of Galaxy's Edge. They were going to do a couple of annual pass holder preview events. So yes. you got to wonder, given the stories that are out there about how few people have been coming to Disneyland Park, and the like. You and Len had a great conversation mm-hmm. on the last Disney Dish about how when you were a local, mm-hmm. and let's be honest, Disneyland is mostly for locals. Yeah. That's They have a different way. They're, they're a local theme mm-hmm. park. So because of that, most of the folks that are going to Disneyland are locals. Mm-hmm. That's why you get that bump at five o'clock every single day. Well, locals don't stay in hotels. So because of that, a lot of the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge reservations weren't going to locals. Some of them did go and buy hotel reservations just to get in. Yeah, and and you're right. I think the phrase is that Disneyland is the world's most famous regional theme park. Whereas, again, yeah. Walt Disney World is a world-class resort. And when you factor in all of those on-site hotel rooms, this is a very different animal. Well, yeah, it's two or three local Disneyland resorts mm-hmm. versus 20 plus of Walt Disney World official resorts. And we look at it as there's so much more people. And at the end of the day, Disneyland is the test subject for Galaxy's Edge. And what they're going to do with Walt Disney World is going to be dramatically influenced by what they're doing on the West Coast. We'll know more on the 24th. The locals, in theory, start to pour in. But this is the Universal Podcast. We should probably shift back to that now. Exactly. Okay. Um, <laughs> and speaking of universal related news, we saw Secret Life of Pets 2 come out, and boy, that didn't go as planned. I mean, <laughs> Secret Life of Pets, the original, came out in July of 2016, and over yep. its opening weekend, just over its opening weekend, it sold $104 million of, of tickets in North America. And Illuminations Entertainment, the folks behind the Despicable Me movies and the Grinch film, we had just last year's thought that with Secret Life of Pets, they had their next franchise. So they quickly put a sequel into productions. Uh, Secret Life of Pets opened back on June 7th, and there's all sorts of head-scratching going on right now, Dustin, because that only sold 46.6 million worth of tickets in North America. That's, That's 44% of the box office of the original Secret Life of Pets. And it's just sort of like, wow, what happened here? And this is especially troubling for the folks on the 
Universal Parks and Resort sides because the Secret Life of Pets off the leash. Yeah, off the leash, which was actually just registered as a trademark. Well, there we go. Which was funny because it was in the same breath as all the as big fire and yeah. such. So this was June 14th was when they registered that trademark. Just like Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem. There was going to be the park this debuted in, but there was already talk about Secret Life of Pets. Well, first of all, going to Beijing, likewise Singapore, and even in Orlando. It was kind of interesting. I mean, every so often you'll hear about maybe the Blue Man Group is, is coming to the end of its run in Orlando. And the interesting thing is that that's what they were thinking. They were thinking that the Illuminations Entertainment Land would actually move in that direction, that you'd go past the Gru's house, so to speak, and the next block over would be where they would have built Secret Life of Pets, which would then have allowed them in across the street in where Shrek 4D is being shown. That's would have become, I, I guess the plan still is that it will become the DreamWorks Theater at some point, and we'll see that Kung Fu Panda film come through. But I, you got to wonder, is that now going to happen? More to the point, uh, Secret Life of Pets 3, which I was told was supposed to be Universal Pictures' big release for June of 2023. And, oh, and wow. I guess we'll have to wait to see what happens there. And, and speaking of threes, Jurassic World 3, that's supposed to actually come out in June of 2021. On the other hand, if you can't wait to get back to Il Nublar, uh, there's Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Have you heard about this Netflix series, uh, Dustin? I have in any sort of Jurassic World mm-hmm. stuff. I, I want more. Okay. Anytime I see any of, uh, you know, dinosaurs mm-hmm. and, you know, especially the quality that's being put out uh, right now within that franchise, yeah. it's like I'm 10 again. Yeah, well, and that's a, it's interesting you say quality because there's a teaser trailer out right now for Camp Cretaceous. It really looks great. And, and likewise, a couple of the pieces of the concept art. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know the concept, it, this is... This story is, or this series, excuse me, animated series, is supposed to be set, it's kind of running parallel to the the storyline of the initial Jurassic World film from 2015 that evidently on the other side of the island there's sort of an outward bound adventure area and there's six teenagers who were there and then the Indominus Rex gets out and everything goes to hell in a handbasket on the other side of the island and as they're clearing the survivors off, they forget about these six teenagers who now have to are forced with, they don't have any contact with the outside world and they have to survive till somebody remembers and comes back and collects them. This is a show that right from day one has a ticking clock because wasn't mm-hmm. it in Fallen Kingdom where Mount Sebo, the volcano on the island blew and wiped out everything that wasn't carried off on, off the island. There's supposedly a four-year gap between the events of the original Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom, so I guess they got four years to get those kids off the island. But anyway, it's showing up on Netflix in 2020. Okay. Keep an eye out for that. But again, if you're like Dustin and you just can't get enough Jurassic World, I guess right now you can actually go out to Universal Studios, Hollywood, to the lower lot, and the bar, the Hila New Bar, has opened along with the Jurassic Cafe. 
Is the merch also open? The merch is open. It's it's coming. It's coming so soon. And all you have to do, the, the excitement that is happening in Universal Studios Hollywood about this franchise is hitting peak capacity right mm-hmm. now. So the quality that the team members, the creative folks, the uh, the engineers, everyone who put time and effort into Jurassic World mm-hmm. on the West Coast it's just being shown off. I think the fact that when you go to the locations like the, is it Isla or Isla? I think it's Isla, Isla Nubar. There we go. I just think that that word pun is worth buying a t-shirt with that on it. Like that kind of stuff is just brilliant. So you've seen that there's uh, unique food and such, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was eyeballing the menu for the Jurassic Cafe. and Have you seen the photos? It looks good. It does look good. It, and and oh, But again, the whole conceit is what? Costa Rican-inspired cuisine. So we got things like roasted yes. red snapper and citrus glaze chicken, not to mention pomegranate guacamole with plantain chips. And that's something mm-hmm. Nate's in. I will have to try when we get out there. As for the bar... They're doing tropical-themed cocktails and collectible cups, which is good news for all you tiki enthusiasts out there. I'm looking at you, Michelle. That means you can get your pina coladas, your painkillers, and your margaritas in three different types of mugs. Uh, What, an etched tiki, a bamboo-style tiki, and tiki god. They had a couple of shots of those mugs. They looked fairly collectible, right? Yeah, they they look collectible. I won't get one, but that's because with with mm-hmm. me, I look at getting more of the drinks mm-hmm. than buying that extra mug. But I think when you do some research into the the merch side mm-hmm. of Jurassic World, they've really spared no expense. Jeez, oh, oh. I had oh, no, to. I'm no. sorry. John Hammond <laughs> would be would be proud of you. Speaking of sparing no expense, though, that that every theme park. On the planet now, when they have a through right of size, does the image capture. And I have mm-hmm. to admit, I'm kind of intrigued by what Jurassic World The Ride has decided to do here. This is really sort of a social media age savvy decision. Because, again, it's not a still image now. It's super slow motion. Yeah, they're doing the same thing as what is currently over at Seven Dwarfs Mine mm-hmm. Train. So when you go on Seven Dwarfs, they have multiple cameras mm-hmm. where you have your still images, but they actually produce a video where it shows you coming around a corner and it slows down. So you actually get to see the pure joy in your eyes. And it, it's always at the best spot. I think there are some locations at Disney and Universal where they don't really pick the right backdrop for the photo mm-hmm. like the have you been in the one at, at space mountain it's basically as you're going through the tunnel that lights up with red and uh just before you're starting you turn around the corner and all of a sudden they take your photo mm-hmm. and you look at it afterwards and you're like that's not a good photo it, lo- it looks like universal has taken uh steps to really focus on not just the photos but knowing that every single person is going to be putting this on their Instagram stories. Well, it'll be interesting to see when those slow motion images start to show up. And speaking of which, this is an official folks, and I'm, I'm putting this out there with the, the caveat, but face it, uh, as Dustin has mentioned, the merch shop is open. You know, we've got using a uh, new bar and the Jurassic cafe are ready to take on customers. A lot of construction walls have come down. 
And if you go with the history of Universal Studios Hollywood, I mean, when they brought on board their new grand finale, the Fast and Furious Supercharged, you know, as part of their tram tour, that was just before the July 4th weekend. Well, folks, if you, you look at the calendar, Friday, June 28th is the Friday before the 4th of July. And from what I'm being told by Universal team members, we can probably expect to see the soft opening of Jurassic World, the ride, in the coming days, with them then shooting to officially have it open on the 28th. So just sort of circle that on the calendar, and if you... You want to be among the first to get on this ride, more to the point, want to be among the first to send your friends on Instagram the slow motion footage of you going down that 84 foot long waterfall. Check that out. Speaking of things that should have maybe had a soft opening when we get back from our commercial break, Dustin and I will talk about Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. Before we get started on Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, I guess we should mention, Justin, that as part of last week's media event, the Universal Orlando Resort held a, held a media preview for Big Fire, and you've done a, a really great job of staying on top of what's going on with this uh, City Walk eatery, but you know, when you walk into that restaurant under that sign that says American Fair, boy, they're not kidding. I mean, if you look at some of the, the names of the, the items on the menu, uh, you've got Colorado lamb chops. You've got Creekstone cowboy ribeye. You've got campfire chili. So it's like, all right, I get it. I'm Colorado. I'm down by the creek. I'm sitting by a campfire, which is why I should probably try the brook trout or the campfire chili. Though that said, you know, I've also been told, especially for folks like Nancy who will not eat things that have cute eyes. Yeah, Jill's Jill's vegetarian as well. It's, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of the restaurants that we go to at Universal and mm -hmm. Disney, there's a lot more planning that goes into mm -hmm. it because you don't want to be stuck eating a salad followed by a salad. Mm -hmm. So when, when you put the emphasis on good mm -hmm. food and American fare, but, you know, really doing something that isn't just a side salad. Oh, I agree. I agree. Big but fan. What's interesting is Big Fire has got things like wood charred Brussels sprouts. They've also got a baby beet and goat cheese salad, not to mention fried green tomatoes. And I can't help but notice that that's, kind of the same stuff you can find over at the Plight Pig in Disney Springs. Yep. By the way, you're going to be hitting that hard too during this trip? or Oh yes, flat out. Uh, there there are many restaurants, especially at Disney Springs, mm -hmm. that I haven't been to recently. So I'm going to do that. And hopefully the goal is to make it over to Universal. But at the end of mm -hmm. the day, we're going to be back in Universal in just a couple of this short months. So in November, in November. Which brings me to an interesting question. We have the NBC Sports Grill and Brew, which mm -hmm. also has a spectacular meat-based menu, has this wonderful open kitchen where you can literally see the stuff being grilled over open flame. And, and they do get a region-specific meat offerings as well, like Midwest ribs and Smokehouse Angus beef brisket. I trust Chef Steve Jason, you know, I mean, the head chef mm -hmm. of the Universal Orlando Resort. He's very insistent that the key difference between the, the two restaurants, that, that uh, Big Fire will be cooking over different types of wood and, and that sort of thing. And that'll give 
the offerings at that restaurant that much more flavor. But face it, these things are, what, 100 yards apart with two very meat-centric menus? And isn't there going to be some overlap? What's your take? When we were down there last, we walked around to most of the restaurants on City Walk and actually walked over to the concierge desk that's there at City Walk and asked for the vegetarian mm-hmm. options. And unfortunately, there was not a lot of options. So what we ended up doing was talking to the mm-hmm. chefs and saying, hey, we understand that there's not a lot of vegetarian stuff on the menu, but can you be creative? And I think that really started the ball rolling within these kitchens saying that, well, there are people like me where I can get bacon with a side of bacon with a topping Mm -hmm. of bacon and be happy. But there are a there's a growing segment of the population where you do have to really take the dietary issues and preferences into account. And I think that CityWalk, as it grows and matures, and as the menus start to grow and mature, we'll see a lot more focus on different styles. And I think with CityWalk specifically, they are maturing to a level that, you know, I think they're, they're starting to listen to their guests a little bit more. And as we see things like Big Fire open... And doing things like the baby beets and goat cheese salad and the fried green tomatoes, that's great. But there's also regional delicacies that they can tap Mm -hmm. into. So maybe that's something that will come out in the next little bit. And just like what we see at Disney World when they're doing their online reservations and you check the menus, they have menus for every single dietary issue that you could even imagine. I'm hoping that that will go to Universal very soon. All right, who's hoping? Because when you look at something like cowfish that, you know, has carved out that interesting piece of turf where it's, you know, you can get a great burger, you can great get a yep. you know, great sushi, and I worry about overlap. For sure. Well, and same as like the hot dogs. Mm-hmm. So when you walk into theme parks, there's a, a, an idea of what theme park mm-hmm. food is. And I think that as we're starting to grow within the theme park industry with things like Setuli and even in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, there's emphasis being put on on good food. And we've all been to those media events where you're, you're walking through and you're like, OK, I've seen this burger before. I'm hoping that things will change and the numbers will speak. Speaking of the Wizarding World, I guess it's time uh, for us <laughs> to finally turn our attention to Hagrid, and, and face it, you know, we're, we're kind of late to the party here. This, you know, family coaster opened last week, and kudos mm-hmm. across the board. I mean, you know, the, I think it was Seth Kabersky who, you know, works for the Orlando Weekly and basically lends good right arm when it comes to the unofficial guide, and was just talking about this isn't just one of the top five rides in Orlando right now. This is one of the top five rides in the country. That They've done yep. an amazing job. And at the same time, doubling back on on what actually happened after the the press preview for the opening day, depending on who you talk to, there were either 10-hour long lines or 6-hour long lines. And was that really all that much a surprise given what happened back in July of 2010 when The Wizarding World first opened up? I mean, there are a number of places backstage at Universal where they proudly display those those aerial photos of the crowds out in City Walk. You know, they're not even in the park yeah. yet. They just lined up to line up. They're there on opening day and they, they want to get in on 
the Harry Potter fun. And don't you think, Dustin, at least some of this crowding issue on opening day was that, that people wanted the bragging rights for, you know, I was there for opening day for Hagrid's or? Oh, absolutely. People wanted to be the first in line. They wanted to be the first to uh, even post a full ride point of view uh, video on on YouTube, which the first one that I came across was uh, the team over at the Potter Collector. And that's the channel that's dedicated to all things Harry Potter. So I was like, all right, this could work. But at the end of the day, six hour lines, 10 hour lines, I couldn't do that in the first mm. place because you're dealing with, I don't know, I have to use the washroom. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you're dealing with Florida weather. And I get it that there was a, a level of excitement, but... One of the things that popped up in my head was if you have people standing in a, a line for six or 10 hours, that means that they're not on any other attraction. There's no registers being rung up. There's no focus on actually running this this park. And for the first day, that's perfectly fine. But what happens after, you know, three, four, five days? And even today, you're looking at lines that are well over two, three, four, five mm. hours. And I'm worried that it's detracting from the story of Hagrid's being as amazing as it is. That we're talking about the lines instead of the experience. But I get it. You, you touched on the whole people in line can't use washrooms, can't shop. I, it's worth noting here that there was a lot of praise on the opening day for how well the Universal team members made what could have been a miserable experience work. They were... You're, you're lying, right, hundred percent. People, I, I was just talking about my oh, own. Oh no, 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 personal, no! I get that. I get. I, I just couldn't stand for no, that. No, no, no! I get that. But they they were allowing people out to use the restroom. They were allowing them to, to, yes. to shop. That sort of thing. I mean, there were. You made really good friends. Yeah, well, you had to. <laughs> and Universal Creative, when they made this choice about swapping mm -hmm. out Dragon Challenge for Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, these guys have been working in Central Florida. They knew. What they were getting themselves into. It's one thing to do a Forbidden Journey or Escape from Gringotts where 99.99% of your attraction is indoors, undercover, so you're not going to be impacted by weather. Yeah, you know, maybe a lightning strike might you know force a reset of, of the attraction, but you know 90% of this yeah. is or 99% of it is, is not going to be impacted by weather. But you look at something like Hagrid's. I mean, this is, depending on who you talk to, it's a six-acre attraction, it's a seven-acre attraction. And yeah, there's a, a couple of show scenes and the queue, a good chunk of the queue is undercover. But when you're mm -hmm. out on that motorcycle in the, the sidecar, you're out in the elements. And in much the same way, that test track over at Epcot has to close if there's if it's raining or if there's lightning anywhere in the area i mean that's the thing with hagrid's it's going to be impacted by weather by the way i didn't just pick test track out of the hat it's kind of interesting in that yeah because there there's a couple other ones i was like oh you could have went with seven dwarfs mm -hmm. mine train you could have went all over the place test track kind of sticks out right test track is actually just a little bit longer than and hagrid's hagrid's is just over 5,000 feet in length, the, the, the length of the course, whereas Test Track is 5,246 feet, literally 34 feet shy of a mile. And uh, Hagrid's reaches a top speed of 50, whereas Test Track is 65 miles an hour. But face it, one's a coaster and one is basically a, 
a glorified slot car. But getting back to the Disney Universal comparison thing, it really wasn't pleasant to go online this week and to watch the Universal and Disney fan community snipe at one another. To watch the Disney fans skate out under the thin ice and the whole, well, the mouse would never do anything like this. They, they'd never open an <laughs> attraction that wasn't ready for prime time. And it's like, really? Does the name Rocket Rods mean anything to you? You know, I mean, that was open for a whole six weeks before it suddenly had to shut down in the summer of 98 for three months for them to, to retool it. And then they closed it in September of 2000 thing had only been open mm -hmm. for what 18 months and change and they're yeah we're gonna fix this we're gonna fix this no we're never bringing this back so it's not a question of dizzy would never do that dizzy's already done this folks but did you see the thing that universal posted online yesterday in regard to the fact that they recognized that because well, well, well here let me let me read this thing Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure is even more popular than we could have ever imagined, and we're working hard to make sure that everyone who wants to ride gets to do so. We've been managing through significant weather delays and running the attraction well beyond regular park hours to accommodate our guests, but this is our most sophisticated high-performance ride system ever, and our team needs time to take care of the ride's daily maintenance and technical support. It's been challenging for them to do with our current operating schedule, so to make sure our team has the time it needs, we'll be opening the ride at midday for the next couple of weeks. We are sharing this so you can better plan your day. During this time, it's best to enjoy the rest of Universal's Island Adventure in the morning and check in with our operations team for daily updates. And we'll share any updates with you here too. So again, mm -hmm. they posted this on Twitter in much the same way that we talked at the top of the show about how Universal handled the electrical issue at Volcano Bay. I mean, I love the fact that they're upfront about this. And, you know, they explain why. We are we are doing maintenance, you know, because this is yeah. a ride that needs a certain level of daily maintenance. So There are two things that mm -hmm. pop out with this. So the first one is the fact that, um, or actually not a fact, this is a question. So if you get in line to ride Hagrid's at any point during the day, up to and including five minutes before the the park closes, do they let you finish your ride? Because then then we get the idea of if if people are waiting in a six hour line, but the line at the end of the day is two or three hours long. This is one of those magic eight ball says check back later situations. I mean, yeah. in much the same way that we are watching a Disneyland figure out how to actually operate a Galaxy's mm -hmm. Edge, we are also watching a Universal Island Adventure try to figure out how to operate Hagrid's. And this is pretty much a learn-as-you-go situation, Dustin. Yeah. You can build these things, and you have a theory about how they're actually going to operate, but then, you know, the hard reality that... It's one thing when it's in Anaheim and you tell somebody, I'm sorry, folks, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, folks, the, the moose outside should have told you we were closed. <laughs> no, in oh, this case, though, when it's Orlando and you're dealing with people who have saved four years to go and do something like this, it's that much tougher because it's like when they miss their one window of time to do this, it's gone. This yeah. reminds me, we really, we haven't touched on this story yet, but I wanted 
to pay tribute. Did you see that story about the the young boy with autism? <gasps> yes. I was going to send it over to you. The thing is, all day long, all he'd wanted to do is go over and ride the Amazing Adventures of Spider-Man at Islands of Adventure. And when they got there, the attraction was having issues and it had gone down. In fact, it looked like it was, it was going to be down for the rest of the day. And the poor little boy mm-hmm. was so overwhelmed by this news that he literally collapsed on the floor and just was you know, crying and crying and, and screaming. And there was a Universal team member there outside the attraction that saw this happening. Went over to the family and said, mm-hmm. would be okay if I, I got down to the pavement and laid next to him. And the family, you know, was just sort of, you know, again, they're trying to deal with this issue themselves. And they said, okay. And, and I'm forgetting the, the, the name of the young woman who did this, but she just she just laid on the ground there and you know talked to Tim in a very calm voice and helped him you know be able to to you know calm him a little bit help him re- regain control of his breathing and more to the point actually sort of shooed away people who were who were taking pictures or stopping to gawk you know just sort of like this isn't yeah. you know this isn't a piece of entertainment this is like a poor little kid who's disappointed that he getting on the ride and. The family just thought this was the most amazing thing, that this woman went out of her way. And it turns out, I guess, she's got a family member who also has autism and, and knows that this is this is what you have to do sometimes to try to regain control. Yeah. And the fact that... It was a team member named Jen. Jen. But kudos to Jen that you know she was willing to do this. And the family went home, wrote about this on social media. And given the way that things work, uh, you know, on the internet, they, you know, I guess they they immediately this GoFundMe thing got set up so that they could send the yeah. little boy back and he could finally ride Spider-Man. And the family was, we didn't do this because we were looking to get money <laughs> to go back to Orlando. We wanted to pay tribute to this amazing young lady, to Jen, who went yeah. out of her way to take a really bad situation. In fact, the, the cherry on the Sunday is Jen, when he was finally calmed down, Jen went into the, the post-show Spider-Man store, talked with the manager there, and said, come on in. You can take your pick of whatever you want. And took what c- could oh, have been awesome. a horrible situation and really turned this around for that family on their vacation. So, yeah, you know, and these are the very same people who are, I know you've been standing in line for six hours. Go ahead and get a drink. Or if you want to get step out and shop or you got to move your feet, go ahead. So... You know, it's a real tribute to the Universal Orlando Resort that they have people like this working there. And hopefully you'll get to run into a bunch of them when you're around there next week. Oh, for sure. And one of the, the things that we, we talked about prior to, to the show was, and back to the comparisons mm-hmm. of Disney and Universal and how Disney fans are actually starting to compare um, Hagrid's with mm-hmm. Slinky Dog. And this is something that we'll definitely talk about on our next show. Hopefully, my goal is to be at Universal. If I don't, you know, I'll ride a, a few hundred POVs on YouTube just to make sure that I'm up to speed because I do have a couple of fast passes for Slinky Dog oh, Coaster. Cool, cool. So we'll enjoy them. I'll be an, an expert on that. All right. But before <laughs> you head out the door, you've managed to bank a couple of the I Like Theme Park show, right? Yeah. So it's, it's We Like Theme Parks. Uh, and it's it's basically a podcast for fellow Disney and Universal nerds who like talking about uh, everything and anything going on through the theme parks and ideas and mess around with other theme park inspired shenanigans. The idea behind it is that it's basically a theme park uh, done 
or basically a a podcast done by theme park fans for theme park mm. fans. So it's it's a good listen. We're up to nine or ten, depending on when you're listening to this show. But head over to wherever, actually, where you get our uh, Universal Joint show. Um, just search We Like Theme Parks and, you know, have some Very fun cool. with that. Okay. And on our side of the fence, it's, it's, it's the usual pile of stuff, folks. We've got Disney Dish that I do with Lentesto. We've got... Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z, we have got the Marvelous Disney Podcast, which I do with Aaron Adams. Likewise, fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, and I want that with Michelle Valladolid, which, honestly, folks, we're going to get too soon. It's just there's 1,200 Galaxy's Edge merchandise <laughs> items, and you know the attention must be paid. Speaking of attention, uh, it, it helps people pay attention to these podcasts if you head over to iTunes and rate and recommend these shows. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what we're doing here at the Jim Hill Media Network, if you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe to the shows, that would be great. And and if you really, 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 really like this podcast, you can actually see us live. Oh, God, that's uh, right. Why do I keep forgetting about this? Yes, <laughs> our event in November. Please make with the information about the... the so it's November 15th through until the mm-hmm. 18th. Just as a reminder for uh, folks who haven't had uh, visited storybookdestinations.com slash announcing the next live event with Jim Hill. Uh, it's on their front page, so don't worry about it. Just head over to storybookdestinations.com. Everything from a resort holiday decoration tour. That's right. It's summer outside and we're talking about holiday decorations. Oh, it's going to be one of those summers. Um, <laughs> uh, then we've got, you know, there's a, a couple of tours that we're doing. We're uh, checking out the the holiday parade featuring Macy's cinematic celebration. There is a lot of stuff that's going on for this. And Hagrid, uh, we're going to, well, again, we may have to stand in line for the full weekend, but we will <laughs> get on Hagrid. Yeah, and well, next door is the uh, the Jurassic World, so hopefully by that point we'll be able to uh, check out some construction pylons. Uh, <laughs> maybe for you carnivores who are long for the trip as well, maybe we can answer the question about Big Fire versus NBC Sports Grill and Brew. About we'll do a meat run and and Nancy can take care of the Snuggetarians while we're away. Anyway, looking now to our next show, Dustin. By the time you get back, Phase One of Universal's Endless Summer Resort, the Surfside Inn and Suites, will be open. They officially mm-hmm. throw open their doors on June twenty seventh, and this seven hundred and fifty room hotel. Uh, will be followed by the Dockside Inn and Suites. That's opening in May of 2020. When complete, this 64-acre complex will feature 2,050 rooms at a price point that start at $85 for a standard room and $31 for a two-bedroom suite. And folks, if you thought that Disney and Universal were brawling over Star Wars and Galaxy's Edge and Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure, Wait till you see what happens hotel-wise when Universal's Endless Summer comes online. But that's a story for another show. In the meantime, here's hoping you have a great trip in Orlando, Dustin, and 35,000 steps a day. Yeah, give or take. It's going to be, you know, a little hot, but they have Dole Whip. I'll be fine. All right. Get comfortable shoes, and we'll talk later, okay? Sounds good. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.